0: You guys remember Todd was preaching most of the summer, right? Okay. Uh, question, what was Todd preaching on? And again, he's not here, so we can actually talk about him. It'll be okay. Guys, what was Todd preaching through? Yeah, this whole idea of the resurrection. Um, and if you guys weren't here this summer, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of recap that a little bit. Um, but now here's what I really am curious about. How many of you guys found yourself frustrated with what Todd was preaching through this summer? And you can, I mean, a couple of things. You can be frustrated with Todd if you want to be, and that's okay. We'll talk about that if you want. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, or just content-wise, that you just didn't, you know, you didn't get it, or you're just struggling with connecting all the dots there. How many of you guys were frustrated, like, in that sense? You just, maybe not frustrated is the right word, but you felt that tension. Anybody feel that tension? Okay, a good handful of you, but not, you know. Hey, guys, And understand something. My life wrecked. My whole perspective on thing just t- turned upside down. Not because of what Todd was teaching per se, but there were a couple things that happened in my life this summer that just really kind of went, okay, how much of this, how much of this Christianity thing is actually impacting the way you live and the way that your life is functioning and the way you interact at home and the way you interact. I mean, just how much of it is impacting the way that you live? And it just took my world and it went, you know, it's like those little snow globes that you shake up, and you know things go everywhere. That's my life, you know, over the course of the summer. And I'm going, what in the world's going on? Um, the other thing that happened, in addition to Todd preaching through this idea of the resurrection, in July I was invited to go and preach at this this camp. And by the way, this is a great way. Um, a friend of mine is a youth pastor, and he invites me out to do this camp. And he goes, hey, would you mind coming out and speaking for our high school ministry? It would be a great time. going to be hanging out at the beach and doing this, doing that. And, and he goes, you know, hanging out with a bunch of us. Are you interested in coming? And I said, well, sure, that's a good deal, you know. And he goes, oh, by the way, he goes... Uh, it's a junior high camp as well. It's junior high and high school kids. Because it's kind of one of those youth pastor tricks that if they know it's a junior high thing, most people aren't going to go there. So he goes, oh, it's a high school deal, cool. And once I had committed, he slid that one in there and it was like, oh, that's dirty, man. But that's a whole nother story for another time. Um, yeah, that's just, that's dirty pool, but that's a whole other story. Um, but guys, so I'm preaching through at this camp. I'm preaching through the book of Philippians. Todd's preaching through this idea of the resurrection. And I've got this tension and I'm going. What in the world? How does how does this idea of the resurrection? How does that play out in my life? How does that play out living here in Simi Valley? And I just my wife and I were talking through it, and I just go, man, what does it look like? And I get to this camp, and I and I was preaching through the book of Philippians with these with these high school kids, and it just it all clicked. If that makes sense, and it's one of those moments where you start to see things get tied together. And I just want to share with you guys this morning um, that uh, in Philippians chapter 3, what we see is we see a, one of the keys that really unlock the entire book of Philippians. And, and by extension, really unlock all of Paul's writings. And we, we get a glimpse of Paul's life, which really, I think, gives us an understanding of what this guy was all about. So if you guys have a Bible, open it up to Philippians 3. Philippians 3. And we're going to walk through this. We're actually going to walk through the entire book of Philippians this morning, but we're going to start in chapter 3. Chapter 3, we'll start in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So what's going on here? Um, guys, in, in verse 2, Paul's talking about this group of people who are saying, hey, you know what? There's this group of people in the church today that are putting all their confidence, all their assurances in religious activities. They were saying, hey, you need Jesus and you need to follow the law and you need to be circumcised, which is why he says they're mutilators of the flesh. Kind of takes that and and kind of, you know, uh, kind of assaults their kind of perspective on things and saying, hey, then he says, you know what? We're the real people of God people who have chosen to live by faith. And that's all in verses 2 and 3 there. He says, hey, look out for these people who are saying you need to put your confidence in in the flesh and in, in, in abiding and doing certain things, certain religious activities. The true people of God are just people who live by faith. And that's 2 and 3. And then he goes on and he says, but hey, if you do want to basically compare religious activities or compare um you know keeping the law i've got more of a reason to be confident and he goes on and he says you know what i was born on the 8th or i was born of, a, of the tribe of benjamin i was circumcised the 8th day i was of, of the people of israel i was a hebrew of hebrews i was a pharisee i persecuted the church cuz i was i have all these religious accolades i mean i put together a pretty impressive resume of religious activities. Does that make sense to you guys? I mean, where Paul's, Paul's going with that, and he's saying, hey, you know what? Um, as far as people going in, in establishing and putting confidence in the flesh or in, in religious activities, what Paul's saying is, hey, I've got an impressive resume. You know, look on paper. I've done a lot of impressive things. Now, I don't know many of you um, who were born of the tribe of Benjamin or... You know, a Hebrew of Hebrews, or I don't really know many of you who are Pharisees either. Um, And I don't know many of you who were zealots and persecuted the church. And so, really, you go, what is this? How in the world does this apply here, you know, with us? And so, let me take a little liberty for a second. and going, as far as people who are measuring or putting confidence in religious activities, let me just take a, a, a moment to, to do a little equivalence here. Um, maybe I was born on Saturday, hit church on Sunday morning, and haven't missed a Sunday since. Or maybe it's simply, you know what, I, I'm the kind of guy who, you know what, I went to high school group, I went to AXIS, kind of hit the young marrieds class, now I'm teaching a midweek Bible study, go on missions trips, I go to men's retreat. You know, I do all the religious stuff. You know, when the church has a picnic, I'm there barbecuing, you know, type of thing. You know, I've memorized my Bible twice. You know. Um, and and we, we've got this this resume of spiritual things and, and religious things that we've done. And what does Paul say about this? Verse 7. He says but whatever gain I had, whatever spiritual accolades or religious accolades I have, I count these things as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You say, okay, what in the world? He counts all of these things as loss. And... I'm not a business person and make no claims to be a business person. But the language that he's using here is business language. It's in this idea of assets and liabilities. And if you're a business person, you can explain to me what that means. But I think I have a... No, I don't even have a clue. But that's okay. I'll act like I do. Because that's what's important, right? Um, no, but that's alright. Guys, one side, liabilities. Paul says, I count all of this religious activity, all of these religious accolades... I count these things as liabilities. They're not neutral. I actually count them as a loss. They are a liability to me. What's the only thing in the asset column? Knowing Christ. Exactly. He says, I've counted all of this as loss. The only thing in the asset column is knowing Christ. That's verse 7. In verse 8, it says, Indeed, I count... Everything is loss. And what he does here is very interesting. He starts off by saying, hey, all this religious accolades, I'm not going to put my confidence in any of these religious things. In fact, I'm counting all of this as loss. And then he gets to verse 8 and he says, in fact, not only am I counting all of that as loss, I'm counting everything as loss in view of the surpassing knowledge Knowing Christ Jesus. And so he doesn't just say the religious stuff. He broadens it out and he says, in fact, I'm counting everything as loss. Question for you. What does everything mean? This is one of those trick words. What does everything mean? Thanks, Richard. Appreciate that one. Yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> everything means everything. That's exactly what it means. Okay, so that's, that's pretty tricky there. But guys, it's what exactly what it means. He counts everything in his life a liability. And the only asset that he has is knowing Christ. And notice something. It doesn't say knowing about Christ. Knowing Christ. Some of us get caught up in this idea of the pursuit of knowledge about and not the knowledge of and knowing Him. And it is an issue of he counts at all loss in view of knowing Christ. It's a decision that he made one time in the past that carries on with implications for the rest of his life. He made the decision to count all of this as loss. Not just the spiritual accolades, not just the religious stuff, but everything in his life was a loss in view of knowing Christ. Everything else is a liability. Now, why? It says, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. And then he goes on and he restates it again. He says in verse 7, I've counted everything as lost." The beginning of 8, I count everything as loss. And then at the end of verse 8, For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as... What does your version say? Some say rubbish. Anybody have a King James version? Dung. Guys, understand something. The word read here is rubbish. If you read the King James, it says dung. It is a vulgar term in the Greek language. In fact, if you know Greek, which I don't even claim that I know Greek, just a little bit, but it is important actually, this is a great word picture for you. It is a vulgar term. It's a term of vulgarity. The Greek word, and this is how I know this, is I, I struggled through Greek and so a friend of mine would, would help me out and he gave me a great study tool for this word. And this word is skubalon. And he goes, okay, here's how you need to remember it. He goes, skubalon. He goes, just remember, you scoop the lawn. And if you have a dog, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Guys, what does Paul say? He says, I count all of this not as a loss. He kind of escalates it. And he says, I count it as a pile of... You guys almost got me to say it there, but I'm not going to. But you understand the word I'm looking for. (laughs) You understand. (laughs) You know. (laughs) No, but guys, you know exactly what we're talking about here. He says, you know what? I didn't just count it as loss... It's a pile of crap. It's what it is. And he says, okay, guys, everything in life is is not just a loss. It's not just a liability. I count it like the King James says it's dung. In view of the knowledge of Christ. And he gets there in the end of verse 8. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness that comes from my own, or comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and the righteousness of God. Then then we get to verse 10. That I might know Him and the power of His resurrection that I might share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection of the dead. Guys, bottom line, 3, 1 through 11, this is what Todd was preaching through this summer. What does it mean to live in light of the resurrection? He says, you know what? I've counted everything as loss. It's all a liability if it's going to hinder me from knowing Christ. This is what I'm passionate about. I want to know Christ. Why? Because of the resurrection. I want to know the resurrection. I want to, by any means possible, I want to attain the resurrection of the dead. I want so desperately to live in light of the resurrection. That's where Paul is. Guys, that's basically what Todd was preaching through this summer. Paul gets there. Paul makes a choice here in chapter 3. And that choice that he makes to live in light of the resurrection unlocks the rest of the book. And here's what I mean by that. Allow your eyes to drift over to chapter two. The reason Paul is able to make this choice, the foundation for the choice that Paul makes in chapter three is actually in chapter two. Chapter two, verses one to eleven, specifically verses five to eleven, and the example of Christ's humility. The example of Christ. And if you look at that, Jesus, you know, it says, Have this mind of yourselves also in Christ Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So in the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guys, the the example of Christ's humility, the example of Christ who was in heaven was God, came down for the purpose of reconciling God and man. Chapter 2 allows Paul to make the decision in chapter 3. You guys tracking with that so far? Chapter 2 is the foundation for Paul's decision in chapter 3 to live in light of the resurrection. That's the foundation. But what does it look like? Because this is where we struggle. We struggle with, so what? So Paul's all in. So Paul's buying into this idea of the resurrection. He's counted everything as lost. What does it look like? Go all the way back to chapter 1. Because this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like for Paul. You see, guys, chapter one makes no sense if you don't understand chapter three. Chapter one makes no sense at all. Because what does he say? Well, you need to understand his circumstances. Paul's in prison when he writes this. This is one of the prison epistles. Paul's in prison, he's in jail. And so when he writes chapter one, when he writes the whole book, he's in jail. And look at what it says in chapter 1, verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me really served to advance the Gospel. What's happened to him? His imprisonment. Him being thrown in prison. Paul saying, hey, don't be discouraged by this. Don't be bummed out because I'm in jail. In fact, guys, you need to be excited about this. Because you know what? Me being in jail has actually caused the Gospel to go forward. Because I've had an opportunity to preach to the Praetorian Guard. To the Imperial Guard here. All these soldiers that are guarding me. I've had an opportunity to preach to them. You know what? And not only that, but my imprisonment has caused the rest of the body, other believers, to kind of to, to fill in the gap. They realize that I wasn't out there preaching anymore. And so since I've been in prison, you know what they're doing? They've gone out and they're preaching now. They're filling in the void that I left. And so, you know what? Don't be sad. Be excited because my imprisonment has led to the Gospel going forth. Don't be discouraged at all. You go, what in the world? This guy was in jail. This guy's in prison. And he's saying, you know what, guys? You need to be excited about this. Why? Why was Paul excited about this? In fact, if you go to verse thirteen, or sorry, 15, he goes, you know what, in my void, because I'm in prison, this void that is left, some godly people have gone up and, and are preaching the gospel. But in verse 15, he even says, you know what, some people have gone out and are preaching and they have horrible motives. You know, they're trying to preach for their own benefit and so that they can have a little you know, power trip type thing. And Paul goes, you know what, I'm even excited about them. You know why? Because the gospel's going forward. You go, what in the world, who is this guy? How is it that Paul could rejoice while he's in jail, while he's suffering, while he's being afflicted? Why is it that he can rejoice in his given circumstances? It's not a rhetorical question, by the way. It means you need to talk now. (laughs) Guys, why is it? Good, somebody else. Because all he cares about is Christ. Because the choice that he made in chapter 3, guys... He chose to live in light of the resurrection. Everything else is lost. So the only thing that matters to him is furthering the gospel, is ministry. He's going to live a radical life of ministry. Why? Because of the choice he made in chapter 3. His life was consumed with ministry. To the point where when he's in prison, he says, Hey, praise God, look at the opportunities for ministry. Not just for my own personal ministry, but look what happened. You know what? Out there, people stepped up. Praise God. His life was consumed with ministry. To the point where he gets to chapter 1, verse 21. Where he says, you know what? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you go, you know what guys? Bottom line, we don't understand this. In fact, this is an impossible verse to understand if you don't understand chapter 3, the choice that Paul made to live in light of the resurrection. Because you go, you know what? We misunderstand this idea of to live as Christ and to die as gain for one of two reasons. One, we have no idea what it means to live as Christ because we have no idea what it means to die as gain. Does that make sense? We have no idea how to live as Christ because we really don't buy into this idea that dying is gain. Because if we did, if we bought in and we said, you know what, our death would be the absolute best thing for me right now because I would be restored and I would be in the presence of God, you know what, that would make any circumstance in life tolerable. It would make any circumstance in life bearable. Why? Because you know what, what's the worst that's going to happen to me right now? I die? Great, praise God. Dying is gain. That would allow me to live as Christ. How can I, how can Christ, I mean, think about what it means, you know, to live as Christ. A life that's consumed with ministry. Didn't have a home, didn't have a place to lay his head, was persecuted, suffered. You know, guys, the whole deal. His whole life was consumed with ministry. If we really bought into the fact that eternity was on the other side of death and we'd be with God and dying truly was gain, guys, to live that kind of life would be well, no big deal. The other way we misunderstand this, now watch this. Guys, the other way is this. We have no idea to die is gain. Now, I flipped them here. We have no idea of that dying is gain because we have no idea what it means to live as Christ. See, on this one, we just flipped it. Because, guys, if we lived a life of absolute, that was just committed to ministry, that was just absolutely committed to the furtherance of the Gospel, just absolute, just looking at the life of Christ and going, man, His whole life was consumed with ministry. You know what? At the end of the day, dying would be gain. Think about that. If our whole life was consumed with reconciling people to God and doing whatever it takes takes at all costs to do that, You know what? At the end of the day, dying would be gain. Because I'd be spent. I'd have nothing left. Guys, and so we don't understand this idea to live as Christ, to die as gain, for one of two reasons. Either we don't understand to die as gain because we don't understand to live as Christ, or the other way around. Either way, guys, the key that unlocks this idea is... The choice that Paul makes in chapter 3, to live in light of the resurrection. Because you see it, guys, in, in chapter 1 there, when Paul says, you know what, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Then right following that, he says, you know what, because I so desperately want to go and be with God. I so desperately want that. But you know what, I'm going to stay on here because I'll have a greater platform for ministry with you guys. Even though Paul knew that him dying and being with the Lord would be best, he says, you know what? I'm going to stay here with you guys. Why? Because that will give me the greater platform for ministry. Guys, Paul's entire life was consumed, not with his job, not with his family, his entire life was consumed with ministry. Doing the work of ministry. Now understand something. Your job can be a platform for ministry. Your family can be a platform for ministry. But Paul's entire life was consumed with living a life of ministry. With furthering the Gospel. Furthering the cause of Christ. And you sit through that and you go, my goodness, the implications of this. That is a hard thing to grab onto. That's a hard thing to wrap my mind around. Yeah, it is. It's a tough thing. But that's where you go, okay, the decision that Paul made in chapter 3 all of a sudden makes chapter 4 even start to make sense. When Paul says, you know what? I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned how to live in want when, I'm, when I need things. And I've learned how to live in plenty. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Guys, we need to see all these passages in the context of the book and how the book flows together. Paul makes the choice in chapter 3 to live in light of the resurrection. Guys, that results in living a life of radical ministry that, yeah, it will be hard. But that's where he concludes in chapter 4 and saying, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because, guys, it would be a hard thing to live that way. But I want to just draw you guys back to chapter 3 for just a moment because Paul makes an interesting contrast. Very interesting contrast. In 3, verse 12, Paul's saying, hey, not that I've already obtained it. I'm not perfect by any means. But what am I doing? But I'm pressing on to make it my own. I don't consider that I've arrived yet, but one thing that I do, I'm pressing on. I'm keeping my eyes fixed on the upward call of Christ. If you guys will allow me to use this language, I'm keeping an eternal perspective. I'm forgetting what lies behind, and I'm pressing on. You guys get a picture there? That's what Paul's doing. He says, okay, in light of the resurrection, I've not obtained it yet. I've not not got it all figured out, but I've made this choice. I'm forgetting what lies behind, and I'm pressing on towards the upward call of Christ. I'm keeping my eyes fixed on eternity. And then he creates a contrast. Go down to verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And then, 18, here's the, here's the switch. For many of whom I have often told you and will now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Question for you Who are the enemies of the cross? If I were to ask you guys this, just tell me enemies of the cross. Okay, let's step back a little bit. This is Western culture. When someone asks a question, usually it's you know appropriate to respond. You know that's okay though. I mean, I understand that. You know, you guys might not. Guys, who are the enemies of the cross? If I, if I were just to ask you this, what would you say? Okay, Satan. Sure. What else? In and people, as far as people go. Okay, whoever worships a false god. Yeah. Okay, those who don't know Christ. What else? Okay, yeah, sinners. Sure. What else? Hitler? Okay. Sure. Guys, if you would have asked me this a couple months ago, who are the enemies of the cross? You know what? I would have said something along the lines of, you know, people who are antagonistic to the Gospel. People who persecute the church. People who, you know, the devout atheists who... You guys understand. But you know what he says here? Paul says, you know what? I have told you often, and will tell you now, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction their god is their belly they glory in their shame their minds are set on earthly things what's interesting here is the construction paul uses grammatically is its people in the church there are many among you who walk as enemies of the cross it's people of the church people who are in fellowship who aren't believers though because it says the reason we know they're not believers is because it says there in verse 18 that their end is destruction Sorry, that's verse 19, I believe. But it says there are many who walk as enemies of the cross. Guys, this idea of walking indicates that it's a a part of the body. They, they, They would claim fellowship with believers. So they're part of the church, but they're not believers because their end is destruction. But what is their lifestyle? How do you tell these enemies of the cross? Look at what it says, and here's the contrast. Their God is their belly. Other translations read, their God is their appetite. Not not appetite for hunger, but just appetite for self-indulgence. Because they're people who are self-indulgent. They feed their earthly, fleshly appetites, their desires. They glory in their shame. They're proud of the things that should be shameful. And those two things kind of fit under this last one, which is really the umbrella statement, and that's this. They have their mind set on earthly things. The enemies of the cross? People in the church who are not believers. Their lifestyle is characterized by self-indulgence, being proud of things that should be shameful, and having a mind that's set on earthly things. Those are the enemies of the cross. And that's in contrast to what Paul was saying in verse 12, of saying, hey, you know what? I've forgotten these things. I'm putting these things behind me and I'm pressing on and I'm keeping my eyes focused on the upward call of Christ. The enemies of the cross, they have their minds set on earthly things. Their own appetites. Their own indulgences. And guys, our own indulgences and our, are this idea of our minds set on earthly things, not necessarily just finance. Not just money, that's part of it, but your time. Is your time, how you invest and spend your time, is that spent in an earthly fashion or is it spent in light of eternity? The way you interact with your family, the way you conduct your business, everything about you, is it something that is self-indulgent or is something that's focused on earthly things? Or is it something that's truly in light of the resurrection? Like Paul here, the contrast that, you know what, I've forgotten the things that lie behind and I'm pressing on with keeping my eyes fixed on eternity towards the upward call of Christ. Guys, at the end of the day, Paul knew something here. And it's it's interesting, guys, because we just process through this and you go, you know what, I just want to Share with you guys something that you can still have your mind set on earthly things, even even though you're doing a lot of good. Does that make sense to you guys? Um, and you go, well, I, I went on this missions trip, or I gave you know this hundred bucks for a picture last weekend, and go, you know what, guys, you can you can still you know have your mind set on earthly things even though you're doing some things that are good. Paul said, hey, I've got a list of pretty impressive you know, religious accolades. But you know what? I'm counting it all as a loss, as a liability. I'm choosing to live in light of the resurrection. Now guys, understand something. There is no neutral here. There is no neutral. You are either living in light of the resurrection or you're not. Paul made a choice to live in light of the resurrection. What does that result in? That results in him living a life of radical ministry. A life that is consumed with ministry. That's what his life was about. As you can choose to live in light of the resurrection, or you can choose not to. But there's no neutral. And so the question then becomes for you guys, what are you going to do with the resurrection? You know, what choice are you going to make with it? Because Todd laid it out all summer, but we kind of walked through it this morning. What are you going to do with the resurrection? Matt and the folks uh, um, are going to come up and, and play a couple more songs with you guys, or, you know, with us and whatnot. And I would just encourage you guys to process through that, process through what that looks like um, in your own life. And, uh, you know, man, how do I know that I'm not being self indulgent? How do I know these things? And what am I living in light of the resurrection? Am I living this kind of a life that's consumed with ministry? And if you guys have questions about this or something, please come on up over here. There's going to be some folks over uh, you know, by the prayer room there. If you're kind of coming up and going, man, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I don't even understand this idea of a resurrection. And you just want someone to explain to you what Christ did and how He reconciled God and man, please come on up and, and talk to us. We'd love to talk to you guys. But uh, guys, I would challenge all of you guys to... Uh, Consider your life and consider what kind of choice you've made with the resurrection. Thank you.